The longer that I practice medicine, the more I am convinced that this writer was absolutely correct when he penned these words. There is nothing new under the sun. No wonder he was called the wisest man who ever lived. Because now on social media, there's a big trend towards a new type of C-section that's not new at all. Yep, there's nothing new under the sun. Because this whole concept of the extra peritoneal C-section, now propagated as the French C-section, was first proposed in 1823. Yeah, it's nothing new. And in this episode, we're going to go over the specific steps of doing this procedure. Because yes, I've seen it done. It's miraculous. It's totally amazing. And it's also extremely risky. And it's those risks that have banned this specific kind of C-section in one country. So get ready. We're going to talk about the French C-section, the extraperitoneal approach, and why we should really be cautious and why we should really beware of the French cesarean. Here we go. Just trying to keep everyone up to date on evidence-based practice because medicine moves real fast. This is Clinical Pearls. The history of cesarean section has always been clouded by myths and misperceptions and misunderstandings of the procedure. No, Julius Caesar was not born by cesarean section. Although the first type of cesarean section has always been debated and it's still unclear when that happened, we can trace one account back to the year 1500 in Switzerland with a so-gelder named Jacob Neufer, who reportedly performed the procedure on his wife at home with crude instruments. Surprisingly, both she and the baby lived, and amazingly, she went on to have other children. Pretty good for VBAC without any kind of evidence to back it up. But even that story is debated. All to say, it wasn't until the good advent of anesthesia that abdominal surgery was a possibility. Remember, before a way to kind of numb pain, most of the surgeries were limited to the extremities, to the limbs, and let's call it for what they were. They were hack jobs. I mean, a quick tourniquet around the limb and then a quick amputation, and if the patient survived, then they'd be an amputee. But with the advent of anesthesia, then came the ability to operate into the abdomen, and so cesarean section became a possibility. But with the ability to enter the abdomen came two other sets of problems, the risk of bleeding and, of course, the risk for infection. During this time, also with the growth of anatomical knowledge, came the idea of entering the abdomen without actually entering the perineal cavity. In other words, leaving the perineal cavity intact and going either through the side of the peritoneum or at the level of the bladder, going retroperitoneal, hence the retroperitoneal approach. In 1823, Louis Auguste Battleclock had that exact same idea. This was a French physician who, in his writings, called this new approach to cesarean section, quote, the new technique for cesareans, end quote. Now, this concept was dictated by the observation of an extremely high maternal mortality rate related to cesareans during his time. Unfortunately, his approach and his thesis was rejected by other cesarean leaders because it was considered too novel and too risky. Interesting, huh? Even back then, it was surrounded by debate and controversy. 
Then came the advent of antibiotics, and with newer surgical techniques and the use of antibiotics together, this technically complex extraperitoneal approach to C-section kind of fell to the wayside until 1996, when, as we've already said, nothing is new under the sun. In 1996, Dennis Falk and Jax Henry Ravina, both French, also came up with their version of this surgery. In general, rather than going directly behind the bladder through the space of Retzius, they elected to go more lateral in a paravesical space, and I'm going to explain that process in just a minute. Well, this has evolved into what is currently called on social media, the French cesarean. When we come back, we're going to walk through the steps to get us to this lower uterine segment in a retroperitoneal fashion. The truth is, it's actually not the lower uterine segment at all. It's actually high vaginal or low cervical, and that's why this approach is technically difficult and potentially dangerous. We'll get into this information coming up next. we get into the steps as to how this surgery is done, I think what the proponents, the advocates of this procedure have done is pretty fascinating. You see, the original physician was Dennis Falk. We mentioned him in the prior section. Falk is spelled F-A-U-C-K. Falk. Remember, that's a French physician. Well, this new take on this surgery from 1996, this new technique, is now called the French ambulatory cesarean section. Those letters are F-A-U-C-S, French, ambule, that's the A and the U, and then C-S for cesarean section, F-A-U-C-S, Fox, just like the original physician, Fock. Is that interesting or what? By the way, I'm saying Fock, F-A-U-C-K, Yeah, don't send me any weird messages. I'm getting weird looks by my team. His name is Falk. All right, grow up. Oh my goodness, I can't believe we just said that. Look, if anything else, we have a great time. If you don't follow our Facebook page, you got to, because I'm always posting stuff with our residents and just, anyway, stuff that crazy stuff that we do. You can't be serious all the time, right? I mean, you have to have a sense of humor. Uh, And I'm thankful for a sense of humor. All right, now let's get into the steps of how this procedure is done. First, a low transverse abdominal skin incision is made about two centimeters above the pubic symphysis. Its length from right to left is anywhere from nine to 11 centimeters. So that's not unusual. That's pretty typical, almost mirrors a typical fanon steel. Some of the authors state that it's actually a little bit lower than a fanon steel. And, and I believe that that's the case because they do have to get kind of in this paravesical kind of retro space of Retzius location. But in general, General, the original writings state that it's two centimeters above the pubic symphysis. The incision is gradually deepened in the subcutaneous fatty layer just centrally in the midline. Then there's a vertical paramedian aponeurotic incision. Everybody good? There is a vertical paramedian aponeurotic opening. In other words, rather than going through the fascia in a transverse fashion, the fascia is entered up and down vertically. This starts with a 2cm incision in the aponeurosis, and then this is cut vertically along the left edge of the white line, in other words, along the left edge of the linea alba. 
This extends about 6 centimeters towards the pubic symphysis inferiorly and 8 centimeters towards the belly button, towards the navel. All right, so we've made the skin incision, dig down during the subcutaneous tissue in the midline, clean off the fascia, and then enter the fascia just in the midline to see the linea alba. And then right at the linea alba, you enter the rest of the aponeurosis vertically, paramedian. Right, so alongside the linea, six centimeters down and about eight centimeters up. Once the aponeurosis is open, the left rectus abdominis muscle is deflected to the left with a retractor, usually a small army navy or a small rich retractor. Again, you grab the rectus muscles and move it to the patient's left to expose the anterior wall of the bladder. Next, the pre-vesical connective tissue is opened with curved scissors in order to facilitate dissection. The operator approaches the retropubic space, leading the fingers along the left paravesical route. So unlike the traditional retroperitoneal C-section that went right in back of the bladder in the space of Retzius, now we're to the left of the patient's midline at the edge of the bladder going behind it. The bladder is then pushed and held to the right, right? So we've got the rectus muscles to the left, and then the bladder dome and the lateral edge of the bladder pushed to the right. Let's stop here for just a minute. If you notice where we are, we're pushing the bladder to the patient's right. This is why this is not technically in the lower uterine segment. I mean, we're at the level of the bladder. This is below the lower uterine segment. And again, this can get into a lot of bleeding but it's going to get a little bit more complicated, so just hang in there. Now, at this time, it's essential that the patient's bladder be empty. So the original description of this is that there's not even a, a bladder catheter, and that's fine. You have to avoid immediately before the surgery and try to have entry quick um, with not a lot of IV fluid so the bladder does not become distended. If the bladder is distended, you have to empty the bladder with an in-and-out because this doesn't work. But in the original description of this paper, of this approach, this was done without a bladder drainage, without a Foley, just the patient voided before. I don't know what the big deal is. I think it's okay to have a Foley, especially if you're working in the paravesical space. Now that this small window is made with the rectus muscles to the left and the deviated bladder now to the right, the peritoneal reflection should now be on top. So that is your triangle area. That's your window that you're operating with. With the rectus muscles to the left, the deviated bladder now to the right, and up on top, the true peritoneal cavity. In other words, right there you have the anterior pouch of Douglas. That is the uh, cervical vaginal reflection of the, of the visceral peritoneum up on top. So that is your little triangle of space. Hope everybody can see that visually. Rectus muscles to the left, bladder to the right, and up on top of the incision, that is the intact peritoneal cavity. It's in this triangular space, bounded by those anatomical landmarks that we just discussed, that the myometrial tissue slash cervical area is now entered either with fine Metzenbaum scissors or with a scalpel. Once entry into the uterine space is accomplished, rupture of the amniotic sac is performed in a typical C-section style, and then manual dissection or blunt dissection then occurs in a cephalocaudal direction just like at a regular C-section. It's at this location then that the fetal head is visible. Some authors advocate the mother to valsalva or to try to do a deep cough to try to increase intra-abdominal pressure to bring the fetal head better into the operator's hands. Now here's where it gets tricky. 
because of the location of this incision, this isn't like a regular C-section in the lower uterine segment, that the baby's head can kind of just deviate out of the incision with some fundal pressure. Fundal pressure is still applied, but again, maternal effort, according to some authors, uh, is encouraged to try to help descend that baby's head. And in the original description, the baby is taken out with an extraction. Okay, this is not a simple delivery. This either requires small forceps or a vacuum extraction. And because of that further distension of the hysterotomy, here's where bleeding becomes an issue. In order to prevent any inadvertent bleeding, this has to be made with careful inspection and location of any branches of the uterine artery and of the vesicular artery. You got to make sure that these are out of range because if not, and these are not adequately protected, and you place a small vacuum cup on that fetal head, as that fetal head delivers, there's been cases of, of true bleed here and extensions of the incision that are very, very complex and difficult to repair. Once the child is delivered, the placenta is then extracted in the usual fashion. Of course, there's no curatage through this incision because of its anatomical location, but any trailing membranes, of course, are teased out of the hysterotomy or the vaginal incision, wherever you really are, because it's hard to figure out where you are in this space. Um, just make sure that no retained membranes occur. Then, for the hysterotomy closure, this is not done in the usual style. However, the original writers actually varied in this closure technique. Some use a continuous purse-string closure, others use a series of interrupted sutures. All to say, this is enclosed like a typical cesarean, with most advocating a circular purse-string continuous suture to try to bring that tissue together and increase that area's strength. All right, so this is done just lateral to the bladder, kind of in the peri space of retius location. Um, is there any data for this? I mean, why are we doing this anyway? Just to be kind of neat and novel? Well, the idea is if you don't enter the perineal cavity, there's less risk for infection. It's proposed to be quicker for maternal ambulation and then quicker discharge. And there are some publications for this, all right? This has been done, and there's even some level one evidence that have done this. The question is, just because you have evidence to back it up, should it be done? There are real risks here. Not only are there risks with fetal extraction, but there's real risks of bladder injury, ureteral injury, and then, of course, some retroperitoneal bleeding. And if you get a retroperitoneal bleed, it's a very complicated issue because that tracks into the retroperitoneal space, and that can have delayed bleeding up to hours later. And that's also been reported. So while the original intent... Uh, the original design was to prevent intraperitoneal infection with the use of antibiotics and then now, of course, with Zithromax, with some advocating just universal Zithromax, whether they're in labor or not, because that's now uh, come out in print. Uh, is this really necessary? Now, I don't want to get into that specifically because it depends on who you ask, but I do want to give you one stance from one country that has banned this procedure. Now, I'll tell you why they have done so coming up next. I don't want to seem like a Debbie Downer because I'm all about innovation, new medical devices, new techniques, and new pharmacotherapies. I mean, I think that's a great thing, and that's how we advance. Thankfully, we don't do things the old standard way. We're always learning new techniques. However, having said that, I think there's a time and place for something to be done, and it really must weigh the risks and benefits. Here, the benefit of quick ambulation and less pain 
aren't really all that striking. Yeah, they do have some published evidence for it, but that's the whole purpose of the ERAS pathway the enhanced recovery after surgery. There's a lot of ways to decrease post-surgical pain without going through the space of retius or in the paravesical space that's prone to ureteral, bladder, or bleeding injury. I just don't think this is necessary. I told you in the intro that one country has banned this procedure from occurring in, within its borders, and that's Israel. In January 2023, Israeli Department of Health stated that there would be an Israeli-wide ban on the extraperitoneal, quote, French C-section technique, end quote. The decision was made by the Israeli Health Ministry, citing numerous complications, and though many women stated that they were satisfied with the procedure, the Israeli physicians and the health ministry stated that the numerous complications and risks simply outweighed any potential and unproven benefits. Following suit, the Israeli Midwife Association said they supported the ban in light of known complications and unknown benefits. The Israeli Health Ministry stated, quote, No studies have been published in support of the claim that this is superior to a traditional cesarean section, but some studies have showed the procedure has a higher likelihood of harm to babies since they are removed through the use of vacuum or clamps in a very contained space, end quote. Now, a brief commentary. I love what the Israeli Ministry of Health did, saying, no, we're not going there. We're not playing that game. Good for them. But they did state, quote, no studies have been done, end quote. Well, that's kind of odd because, there, I mean, there is a publication on this. I mean, it was published in Plus One, the online journal, in January 2021, January the 22nd to be exact, and the title of the publication is The Extraperitoneal French Ambulatory Cesarean Section Technique Leads to Improved Pain Scores and a Faster Maternal Autonomy Compared with the Intraperitoneal Mishkev Lattic Technique, a Prospective Randomized Controlled Trial. I believe what these surgeons have done in creating this new modified retroperitoneal C-section technique is anatomically uh, brilliant. It's fascinating and it's amazing and it's highly likely to be unnecessary. Once again, just because we have data and an ability to do something, then the ethical question is there. I mean, is it worth it? Is, is the benefit of quicker ambulation uh, and less pain when there's newer ways to take care of ambulation and pain, is that worth this surgical risk? My personal perspective is that no, it is not worth the risk, especially when there's more minimally invasive C-section techniques out there than the traditional approach too. I mean, you can still do a mini laparotomy, use an Alexis, and do minimal dissection, leave the uterus inside. There's a lot of other ways to help uh, increase post-op ambulation and decrease post-op pain. Uh, there's nerve blocks. There's a lot of different techniques. Uh, we've poured lidocaine into the abdomen and subcutaneous tissue. I know it doesn't last a long time, but it does have an effect to kind of numb the area or marcane or brubificane as well. There's all these different techniques that can be done, uh, even using on Q-pump. So it, I think the, the risks of this kind of surgery are real, and it's a very novel thing. And the physicians who are doing this are marketing themselves uh, as expert cesarean section physicians. Good for them. Um, but I just don't think it's necessary at this time. 
No, SMFM and ACOG have not endorsed this, nor have they commented on this, because it's still kind of fringe and out there, and I don't believe it's going to take into the mainstream uh, anytime soon. I could be wrong, but I just don't see that happening. Even one website of, quote, expert practitioners of this procedure, end quote, give this disclaimer. The extraperitoneal cesarean section using the French ambulatory cesarean section technique requires proper training with senior obstetricians who routinely perform this procedure. Fellowship is more relevant than ever for this procedure. We advise against attempting to do this technique without proper training and or mentoring. End quote. Well, at least they were loyal to their ethical obligation to put that disclaimer out there to prevent physicians from just going out there and willy-nilly trying this dangerous procedure all by themselves. Well, there you go, podcast family. We've covered the extraperitoneal cesarean section, otherwise known as the French C-section. Truth is, there's a lot of ways to do a C-section. There's a traditional Fannis deal. There's a Joel Cohen. There's Mishgav Vladik. There's modified Pelosi version. There's all these different kinds of cesarean. And now the ERAS pathway has given us options that are evidence-based to enhance recovery, get the patient ambulatory, reduce pain that's proven and safe. As always, we're thankful that you're part of our podcast community. And we'll see you soon on another episode of Clinical Pearls. Thank you.